eat turkey together. Everybody say that with me. Eat turkey together. All right, now you're thinking of that and you're going, what in the world? Who came up with that? Done. <laughs> Who came up with that? So hopefully you did that, right? Hopefully you ate turkey with your family, right? You know, or you went somewhere or people came to you and you had a chance to really like be together and be a family. I know that doesn't always look as pretty as it should sound, you know, that, you know, oh, family, oh, all of us together, because that's not what happens, is it? It's like, <laughs> kids going at each other, grandbabies pooping over there, you know, there's a lot of craziness going on when you say, like, bring the family together, it's not all pretty, right? But uh, hopefully, overall, you know, it was like, well, how awesome it is to be with family. We went to Louisville, Trish and I, or Louisville, or Louisville, however you want to say it. And uh, all our kids were there, all our grandkids were there, and we just, we had a great time. Of course, there is the older daughter, younger daughter stuff going on here and there, and you know, some hormones going on, we got a pregnant daughter in the middle there, so you know, <laughs> got to be careful. In the middle of it all, Rochelle had to have a procedure, surgery, so we were at the hospital for most of a day uh, with her, and um, she's fine, but that was scheduled at this time, and so a lot of weird stuff, you know, family, when you talk about family, crazy things happen. But, but what I hope uh, this morning is that we'll think about is, is this idea of eating turkey together means so much. Like it means a lot. It means family. It means like connecting with people, right? Connecting with important things. And, uh, you know, take a look at this slide here. Uh, back in the Old Testament, God, God set up like a number of uh, feasts. Here you go. So seven feasts that God kind of like hosted. Like we go to Louisville and Rochelle has the biggest house, so we go to her house and she's an amazing host. She's the one who has the ministry, Scarlet Hope. She started a bakery. She's like the hostess with the mostest. I'm telling you, she's just like crazy host. And she just loves having everybody over, and she's really good at it. She's up cooking, baking, making cookies. There's stuff all over the place, and, and she gets that totally from me. No, no, she doesn't get any of that from me. She gets that totally from her mother, and uh, she's just really good like that. I mean, it's just really cool. Our other kids, maybe not so much, but Rochelle, it's perfect. It works out great. It's awesome. But God set up these feasts, and in Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy, uh, where, where you can read about them. So I'm going to talk about these, and show me the next slide. These are the feasts, and I, I hope you can see that. Maybe, maybe you can, maybe not, I don't know. But these are the feasts, and uh, what, what had happened was in the Old Testament, God's people were given like these feasts, right, to remember and to celebrate. Like God was like, I love you people so much. I want to be among you. I want to live in your midst and dwell with you. And so we're going to set up some feasts like to bring you together every year. Like every year, every few months is going to be Thanksgiving. And you're all going to get together and have a great time. And God set these feasts up so that we would celebrate and remember so that they would. And they were God's idea and they were for God's people. So there's these seven feasts, right? And each of them began and each of them ended with a Sabbath day. So think about that, a day of rest at the beginning, a day of rest at the end, because at the end of all that cooking, at the end of all that fun, you're like, whoo, I just need to lay down and rest for a while, right? I need just, my body needs some rest. Many were a week long. Uh, there was no normal work to be done during this week. 
They were all connected to either the spring or the fall harvest times. So they were like a celebration of what God brought forth for them. There were four spring feasts, right? So there was the Passover feast. They're up there right there for you. There's the unleavened bread feast. There was the feast of first fruits. And there was the feast of weeks, which was also called the harvest feast or the Pentecost feast. That Pentecost happened on later on in Acts. So there's these four spring feasts, and then there's these three fall feasts. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacle. And all these feasts were like rich with meaning and purpose. They were for the people back then as a, as a nation with God, like involved in their little world on the planet. But they were all, there was so much more meaning to it than just that. There was true good purposeful meaning for them at the time, but they all pointed to something so much deeper, so much greater, something that would come in the future. And they were a reminder of these important things that all designed to bring out in the people a heart of thanksgiving, that, that God was with them and he was among them and he wanted to celebrate with them on the earth, but that they would remember that it was God. It was God who gives every good thing. Four in the spring seemed to, seemed to point to, uh, you know, seemed to point to Jesus' first coming to the earth, and the three in the fall seemed to point to the second coming of Jesus to the earth. And here's what they mean to them. You know, there was deep meaning for them, and this meaning is also for us, which makes it so applicable to us. And the first thing is this: the number one thing that these feasts meant to them was this, that God, God's continual provisions, they were, they were after harvest, and they were to remind the people that God is the one who provides. He provides. All of, the spe- all of these feasts, they spoke volumes to how God is a giver, how God just keeps giving, and he gives year after year, month after month, feast after feast. God just giving and giving and giving, that we could never outgive God. You know, that he gives so much to us. He's so much a giver, right? And not only did God say that he would bless them, it's getting warm in here. Uh, not only did God say that he would, that was a hint, Andy, uh, that he would bless them, but, but that he showed them that he was a giver, right? He didn't just say, you know, I'm the giver, I'm the one who blesses all people. He, but he did this. He actually showed them that every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from above, right? He showed them this, that every blessing, every crop, every gift, every harvest is a reminder that God continually gives. He's a, he provides for his people all the time. And the people were to give back a portion to God, right? That was part of the deal, was that God is a giver, and he expects us to be like him. And so the people gave back to God as a sign of their appreciation, right? And their trust that, God, we give back to you because we know you're going to provide again. You always do. You always have. And that was, a, uh, that was part of the deal, part of the relationship. Not a one way of God just pouring out and we just being takers. God never created us just to be takers. He always wants and expects us to be givers like him, right? And that's why we give. He provides and so should we, right? That's the whole idea of this. His provisions spoke of God's character and his provisions spoke of the fact that God cares for you, that he cares for me, he cares for us, right? He loves us, he loves us and he knows everything that we need. 
In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, check this out, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the people who don't believe, people who don't trust God, they seek after those things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. How cool is that? See, we eat turkey. We eat turkey because God provides. Because he provides. Is your heart thankful this morning? Is your heart being like developed into a thankful heart because God is the one who gives? That all of us are blessed. More than we'll ever know. The second thing that these feasts kind of taught them and teach us is this. God's protection for his people. Like every time they came together, they remembered again that it is God who got them to where they are. And it's God who's got you to where you are. Right? He is the one who protects us. In the Passover, we see God's power of protection for his people as the powers of death pass over those with the blood on the doorpost. Right, And from Adam and to Noah to Abraham to Moses and all of Israel's history, God is always like saving. He's always shielding. He's guiding. He's moving. He's defending. He's blocking. No weapon, no force, no power could come up against his people ever. They were pushed to the limits at times, and they were carried off into, into slavery at times, but those were times that they chose to rebel against God. And we will experience that too if we rebel against God, right? That's what happens to those who rebel against God. They get carried away. They get carried off. And the Passover feast was to remind them just that, that God is the one who protects That where you go, he goes. That when you're weak, he is strong. Right? That when you can't, he can. Right? They faced, the Israelites faced impossible situations all through their history. And God always delivered them. He always moved them out. In Noah, we see this extreme love of God. You think about the story of Noah, where God wipes out all of mankind except for this handful of people. And we see God in that, his extreme love. He didn't just wipe us all off. He preserves in us, in mankind, as he prunes away all of the evil of the planet and starts over to preserve and to protect those he designed in his image out of his love for us. Out of his love. It's hard to look at the story of Noah and see the love of God, right? As you think about all the people that perished. But then you see those that God that God protected, and that his desire was to preserve a people made in his image that would love him and allow him to be a part of their lives. That's what God is doing in Noah and from those controlled by the evil one. See, in Noah, God preserves and he protects. Matthew 24, Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be at the return of Christ. People, will be eating and marrying and drinking and carrying away, being carried away and worshiping false idols and doing all the stuff that they were doing back in Noah's time. God loves and God protects those who choose him. Right? That's what he does. He loves and he protects those who choose him. The armor of God is for our protection, right? The whole armor of God is for us to fight against the enemy. Isaiah said, no weapon fashioned against us shall prosper, right? The psalmist said in 46, God is our refuge. He is our strength, a very present help in trouble. 
And in Exodus chapter 20, in the midst of the commandments, in the midst of the second commandment, check this slide out. Look what God says. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or on earth or beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. God is the one who protects those who love him, those who honor him, those who serve him, those who acknowledge that he is God and we are not, that we have a need for him in this world, that as a person, as individuals, we need his protection. See, we eat turkey. We eat turkey because God protects us. Is your heart thankful this morning? Is your heart thankful? The third thing is this, these feasts reminded these people every time they came together and every time they celebrated in that whole week of just sharing together, knowing God was with them, that God's promise of an eternal feast. See, when they sat down to eat all these feasts, they were reminded that these feasts were temporary feasts, that there was a great feast coming, right? That when we come around the Lord's table, we remember the death of Jesus and the blood that cleanses our sin. But we're also reminded that he's coming back. And there's going to be a great day in heaven, right? Where all of God's promises are good and true and are are met. That his commands are good. That it's no surprise that on the seventh day, God was creating even rest for us. Because it was important for us to understand not just human rest, but that one day there would be an eternal rest, a great rest, right? Each of the feasts began and ended with a rest. The following, the, 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 following the three first commands about worshiping God and honoring God, remember those that Moses shared, God says this in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, look at this. He says, remember the Sabbath. Right after saying, Worship the Lord your God, have no other idols before you. The next thing he says in these commands is, you remember the Sabbath. That's pretty important, right? If it's in the commands, that that high up. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you or your son or your daughter, nor any male or female servant, not your animals, nor any foreign residing in your towns. For in the, in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that was in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy." The command was to keep the Sabbath holy. One reason, because we're human and we need that rest, right? Our bodies need the rest. We will just wear ourselves to death, won't we? We need the rest. As people, we need the rest. But more than that, it was a reminder. It was a reminder of eternity, that a heavenly rest is coming, right? A Sabbath day in heaven with God forever. See, God was like setting the stage He was setting the stage all through these feasts that a great Sabbath day was coming and the promise of an eternal celebration where the bridegroom returns for his bride and he scoops her up and he fulfills his promise of eternal life. That's the Sabbath. That's what this is all about. This is not in and of itself. This is to remind us that God is coming and there's a Sabbath rest waiting for every one of us who love him and honor him 
and live for Him and obey Him and worship Him, right? It's a great celebration, a great eternal rest. As He fulfills all the prophecy, as all prophecy is then fulfilled and all His promises are met, and we as His children, like the beneficiaries of all of that, of Jesus' sacrifice, together with the saints of old, are gathered around with Him where we are freed from the agony of death, where we are freed from the agony of sin and guilt and shame, and we're one with Him again. See, when you celebrate, when you eat turkey together, be thankful. Be thankful. A great feast is coming. Amen? How cool is that, right? And the fourth thing is this. It gives, it gives thanks. He gives thanks. We give thanks from our heart, and God is developing this thankful heart in us, and as the people ate these feasts together, they remembered this, God's great gift of a Savior. That, that, that one day, back then, they didn't have Jesus yet. Everything pointed to him, but they didn't have him yet. We live now after all of it. The Feast of Atonement, remember the Feast of Atonement, where God sets the stage for a Savior, right? Like all of the feasts point to the Messiah, right? Think about them. The unleavened bread, uh, the bread of life, food for your soul, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a feast about Jesus, the bread for our soul. That's what it's a feast about. They didn't understand that then, but we do. We see what God was showing them, and we see what Jesus said, and we see what was in the New Testament, and now we know that the Feast of Unleavened Bread was all about Jesus, right? And we think about the Passover, where God provides hope, where the cleansing blood saves them from from perishing and from death and delivers them from bondage. And we know now that wasn't about that It was for them, but for us, it's about what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and his blood covers our sin, and in him we're delivered, right? And in the first fruits, where Jesus is the first fruit, 1 Corinthians 15 says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first fruit. The first fruit feast was about them at that time, but for us, it's so much more than that. And the Feast of Weeks or, or the, the Feast of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is given just like every crop was given, every harvest was given, it came from above where God blesses his people time and time again, year after year, and then he pours out on us his Holy Spirit. Wow, Every feast, so important to them, so important to us, so much more important to us. And the Feast of Trumpets, where that trumpet blast ended the harvest time, and it was the beginning of a sacred season, right? And one day, another blast is going to end all time. And he's going to return in the clouds. He's going to arrive, and that trumpet blast will be the final blast. How awesome is that? Right? And tabernacles, that seventh and final feast, the presenting of God to God offerings and living in like these temporary shelters made out of like palm branches to remind them that they're of their journey like in Egypt, right? And they're wandering and to remind us that we live in a very temporary world and one day an eternal home that will never perish is waiting for us. This is so temporary right now, right? We live in a temporary world. Jesus has gone to build you a mansion. (laughs) How awesome is that, right? And in the Feast of Atonement, God pours out perhaps his greatest blessing for us in these feasts. His only son, a Savior, comes to die. 
right? A Savior of the world, the Son of God, the one who was in heaven, the Trinity with God. He comes and becomes one of us to die on a cross for us. Remember in the Old Testament, the the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies one time a year, and there he would bring all the sins of the people to make atonement for their sins. And there was the slaughtering of the bulls and goats and the blood of all of the animals so that their sins could be forgiven. But we know now that those sins were never forgiven. Only in Jesus is sin forgiven. Those things were just arrows pointing to the Messiah who would one day come and make true atonement for us, between us and God, that in Jesus and Jesus alone is the blood any good. Wow, God, just just amazing what God has been doing all through time to bring us where we are right this moment to appreciate and to give thanks for the blood of Jesus that the sins of our sins and the sins of the world can be atoned for. God, it's so good, isn't he? First Peter says this. Check out what First Peter says. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. Jesus. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All of it. You know, all all that we have, all of our hope is in him. Everything that we are is in him. Jesus is our every celebration. He is it. He's the reason we do everything we do. All feasting is him is in him. It's about him. And by accepting Jesus and believing on him and surrendering to his lordship, right? Being immersed into the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're made one with God and his blood cleanses us. The penalty is paid and forgiveness is yours. It's granted. Amen to that, right? And God is good. The Lamb of God, his blood covers you once and for all. No more bulls, No more goats, no more doves. The Son of God has come, the perfect Lamb of God, Peter says, without blemish or defect. God's seed, then, in atonement, is planted in you. Where God is planted in you, right? And his seed begins to grow in you. And all the hardness of my heart and the crust of my heart and the callousness of me, God begins to break through it. It's already forgiven, but God continues to work in my heart and in our hearts as he becomes bigger in me, right? As I'm being transformed into his image and all of his promises become ours. All of his blessings become ours. The death frees us from all of the sin and the guilt and the shame in us breaking away this dark, hard cloud and crust around our hearts. The very Son of God, Jesus, begins to grow in us. You know what happens then? Our selfishness and our stubborn, inward, worldly heart becomes a thankful heart. While we were at the hospital with Rochelle, I couldn't help but but think about, you know, whenever you go into the hospital, you, you, uh, especially if they're going to like, you know, put you out, knock you out. Anybody been there? Okay, all of us. So if you had any kind of major surgery, <laughs> Cole um, and Tyler, um, any major surgery, they put you out. Well, think about that. Do you know what you're doing? 
Like you are putting your hands completely, your, your body, your life, your, everything about you, completely in the hands of somebody you don't really know. Really, you are. You're trusting somebody you don't know. The surgeon is going to roll you onto the table with a team of people, and they're going to cut you open. They're going to go inside you and do whatever they got to do, put you back together, try to revive you in the waiting or in the recovery area, where you can kind of recover, come back to your senses, and go home with your family. But for that period of time, you have, you have made a decision to completely put yourself in some person's hands. And what God is calling us to, to this morning is this. Put yourself in his hands. Because he can be trusted, right? He's the one who provides. He's the one who protects. He's the one that has given us an eternal feast to look forward to. And he's the one who's given us a savior that will cover all your sin. Nobody, no other surgeon, nobody else on this planet can give you what God is willing to give you if you'll just surrender and trust him. All right, that's what he wants from us. Just trust him. Just trust him. I couldn't help but think, um, I got a letter from Juan Cortez this week. Some of you know who Juan is. He's my uh, missionary buddy in Mexico. Somebody in our church gives to Juan, and I don't know who it is, and you don't have to tell me, but I can tell you this, if you're here this morning, you are a blessing to Juan, whoever you are. I don't know. But Juan writes and he shares, you know, what's going on in his life and his family and the ministry. And Juan is a, um, a little Mexican guy, probably about this tall, who, who basically lives in a wheelchair. He's paralyzed from the waist down. One time I had to pick him up and put him in his car. He can drive. But I had to put him in his car, you know, pick him up, put him in his car. He, he was so light. I couldn't believe it. I lifted him up thinking I'd have to, like, like tighten up. And he's just so light, so just bones. And, but he goes into the prison in Matamoros, Mexico. And he shares the gospel with women in the women's section and with the men in the men's section. He, and one time we were in uh, Matamoros and we went to the prison with Juan and, and we got chased out of there because there was a shooting in the, in the courtyard. A guy got killed by the, the guards because he was running around trying to escape or something. So they usher us out. I mean, every day, every week he goes into the prison and he faces this kind of stuff. And this guy is in a wheelchair. He does more ministry than most of us will ever do. Unbelievable. He is... In my eyes, he is a true disciple of Jesus. He has truly surrendered everything. He lives on very little with his wife and his kids. What little I send him, what little whoever among us sends him, and maybe one other person somewhere out there in the world sends him, he lives on very little. But he loves the Lord so much. And I think about us as American Christians, American disciples, and we're not even close it's almost sad to think. And I wonder one day if Jesus is going to look at us and say, you call that a disciple? You call living in America and doing what you call Christianity a disciple of mine? I just wonder if that's what we're going to hear one day. I hope not. But it makes me want to, want to love him more. It makes me want to let go of everything else more. It makes me want to just, just disappreciate him more and, and from that have this thankful heart. That everything he does, he does because he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Right? And my selfishness and my stubbornness and my inward worldly heart 
can become a thankful heart, allowing then all of us, right, as we think about his goodness and his grace to appreciate him every, every moment that we eat turkey together, right, that, that it's all from him, all of it is from him. And if you don't know him this morning, you need to know him. You need to begin with him. If you've never made a decision to let Jesus be Lord of your life, don't wait. Like out of a thankful heart, just say, God, I give you me. If we're willing to give a surgeon our lives, why wouldn't we give God our life? Father, we love you so much. We need you so, so much more than we'll ever know. And we don't just want to be disciples or Christians in in America uh, by title or name or because this is the way it's become in in our little part of the world. God, we want to truly be followers of Jesus that breaks through all of the Americanized version of Christianity and gets right to where it it matters most in you, where you are our God and you are the one we worship and, and we realize that you are the one who provides everything and you are the one who protects us every day and you're the one who has this great hope of a great feast for us one day and that you are the one who sent your only son for us. No other God would leave their throne to die for me. But you did. God, help us to be thankful. More thankful than we have ever been. And out of that thankfulness, God, I pray that you would be lifted up and honored and that others would come to know your grace and your love. Use us in a mighty way, Father, I pray in Jesus' name.